0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Please excuse the horrible cold, but the show must go on. Joining me is Jose Nino, a Venezuelan writer living in America who agrees with us on a lot of things, most importantly, on demographics, and he has a lot to say about it, so stick around. Writer, policy analyst, and political operative, his name also makes me think of the Hurricane El Nino, Jose Nino, the resident Venezuelan. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me on, Juana.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I have to say thanks for joining me because, you know, it could be naughty associating with these uh, big, bad white supremists, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Seems like defending one's culture these days is automatically worthy of the label of Nazi or whatever stupid pejorative they, they use against people that actually believe in Western civilization and order.
0: Yeah, yeah it's so tiring. Yes. Well, you first came on my radar because you actually wrote a nice article about us for Big League Politics when uh, Red Ice was banned from Facebook, which was shortly after YouTube. So we definitely appreciate that. And then I was like, hey, who's this Jose guy? And he turns out he's kind of cool. So I want to get a little bit into your background too. your uh, let me try and summarize this a little bit. Maybe you should, too. But right. You're a writer at Mises Institute, Big League Politics. You have a newsletter on your website So you ran different libertarian groups on university campuses. You worked for one of the fastest growing lobbies in America. Which one is that, by the way?
1: That was my previous job with National Association for Gun Rights. I was like an email marketer, copywriter, and at various points like a legislative operative for certain programs. They ran like constitutional carry and stuff like that. Now I do freelance writing full time.
0: Nice. Yeah. And you were also quoted by Rand Paul in his latest book on socialism. Yeah. So you, you know, you talk about various political issues. Uh, Let's see, did I miss something? You're pretty young, too. It seems like you're kind of off to a good start already when it comes to uh, politics and writing.
1: I was born in Venezuela, but I came to the States when I was around six. This was like the late 90s, right before things like really popped off in Venezuela. But Things were actually starting to get pretty bad even in the early 90s to mid-90s. My dad's business went under in 1996, and this was a time when, like, inflation was around, like, 100% there. So things were not looking so well in the country, and my parents decided to just move to the States for greener pastures just to bring my sister and I to have at least, like, a better future. And I've been involved in politics, I'd say, since, like, hmm, around – 0607 because of like Alex Jones and like Ron Paul I got into the to the whole movement through them been involved in some shape or form with like libertarian co- conservative groups and other organizations throughout my university days and then I took like a little hiatus from politics when I moved to Chile for a few years though so I worked as like a translator for a kind of like limited government nonprofit there and then i came back to the states and was a gun lobbyist for a few years where i learned about a lot about like grassroots politics like decentralization and localism and now i'm just like a freelance writer full time i write on a whole host of subjects from immigration to gun rights and also a lot of like social media censorship as well
0: now, I think that your story is fairly unique. You came from uh, Venezuela. You know, you've seen quite a bit there. I was reading a little bit about your political journey. I'm curious though how you found Red Ice and then how you started getting into the question of uh, mass immigration.
1: Well, I found Red Ice mostly because of immigration. Mm-hmm. I I've studied Latin American history for an extensive period of time and also, just demographic trends, too, that I started noticing as a lobbyist where in a lot of districts where there are like basically majority minority, you notice that they're very leftist. It's like a Democrat ghetto in a lot of cases. And when you look at a lot of Pew research on the views of Hispanics. They're not the natural born conservatives that a lot of people market them out to be like in conservatism, Inc., And especially on issues of First Amendment, Second Amendment. And through my journey, I kind of put two and two together that mass migration is a massive threat to the historic American nation and the civil liberties that characterize it.
0: Exactly. And now, would you say in Venezuela, because it's in South America in general, I've traveled around South America. It seems like a lot of Latinos, they are more conservative in their own home country, but then when they come over to America or to the West, they tend to vote more left. Uh, Why do you think that is?
1: I think there's a there's definitely a distinction because in the U.S., the mass migration waves are definitely more from Mexico and Central America, which are more mestizo and much more like mixed race. So you get like a very different demographic that's like Latin America's lumpen proletariat. So Off the bat, they have a socioeconomic background that's going to make them much more receptive to the left. And they will also probably end up on public assistance and depend upon public administration, like affirmative action or whatever, to get by. So they are a natural constituency for the left. Now, in South America, it depends because the southern cone, like Uruguay, Chile and Argentina – those countries are very European influenced. There are, are a substantial segments of the population that are of European origin. And that has helped like civilize that region a lot. And even like, for example, like Uruguay is like almost like 88%, like pan European or something to that effect. So, and it shows in its high levels of social trust. Low corruption and overall development as a country, even like Chile, which is not as pan-European, it still has a significant influence there. For example, the Chicago boys, most of them were Chileans of either Basque, Spanish, German or French descent, Mm -hmm. and they helped put the country back on the right track with the leadership of Augusto Pinochet. And Argentina in its heyday used to be the richest country in Latin America. And it featured extensive immigration from European countries such as Italy, France and Germany and Spain. So what I think you see in Latin America is that there is definitely divisions in the region when it comes to how Europeanized they are. Like even Cuba – which a lot of conservatism talks about what they don't really mention there. It is also quite European. That's why a lot of the Cuban voters you see in Florida tend to be much more conservative. It's not just the learned experience of fleeing from communism. It's also the socioeconomic background that has been established years on end over in Cuba that lends these people to be much more conservative as a matter of fact cuba also is very different too because of the fact that it decolonized a lot later than the rest of latin america so it still had that very strong residual spanish influence in there and it's also benefited from certain waves of european migration to the country as well and i think with latin america the thing is, as well, that a lot of these voters, when they come to the U.S., they, pro- they simply just prioritize certain issues of public administration and whatnot and leave their social conservatism behind. And in fact, I would also suggest that if you look at a lot of data now, a lot of Latin Americans are becoming so- more socially liberal. Their views are starting to become more malleable on these issues. So they're not even going to be reliable on pro-life issues or whatever. And a lot of this is because of really powerful media outlets like Univision, Telemundo that have become insanely powerful because of the influence of Miami in recent years. And now they're just accepting all these forms of global homo trends such as gay gay marriage, pro-abortion, and it's reflected a lot in the telenovelas, the famous shows that you yes. see – in Latin America, they used to have like the typical trope of the traditional Hispanic family that was characterized by like a patriarch, but then like the family breaks down because of the patriarchs, infidelities and all of that. Now it's more updated where they have like a gay guy in the family <laughs> and then all these other contemporary, contemporary tropes that you see now. So a lot of that population is being being slowly conditioned into accepting that. So the pro-life and pro-family angle is is dying quickly in Latin America. And I would also suggest as well that Latin American societies are not as stable Mm -hmm. on the family side as many people think. There's a ton of infidelity that's largely accepted. Lots of spousal abuse. Pedophilia is pretty rampant yes. in a lot of these countries.
0: Here. Here.
1: And I would probably say that based on those factors, I don't think they're as natural a fit as people think. And let's look at the evidence too in the U.S. California and New Mexico, which are two of the states with the largest percentage-wise Hispanic populations, they have completely accepted like gay marriage and pro- – pro-abortion policies. If Hispanics there are such natural conservatives, why aren't they leading like the revolt against like gay marriage being pushed upon us through Supreme Court fiat or even like abortion policies being pushed upon people all the time. So I would say to many of the people in conservatism, Inc and whatnot, that their hypothesis is being routinely disproven on a yearly basis. And I think we have to rethink the, this whole immigration question.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm glad that uh, you see that. Now, were you following any of the Nick Fuentes, the Groiper Roar wars, <laughs> the uh, Charlie Kirk being hammered with all these important questions? Were you seeing any of that on his uh, tour?
1: Oh, I, I was definitely following yeah. that. And I did cover that at big league politics. And it's absolutely necessary because the current Trump administration, they're just like governing like a generic conservative government in the West, they have completely ignored the issue of immigration by tackling it head on. Like we need to be talking about moratoriums. We need to be talking about getting rid of birthright citizenship. We need to be talking about ending chain migration, restricting pathways to citizenship as much as possible, if not moving towards the Swiss style of immigration system. And... No, there's none of that talk anymore. It's mostly about just towing the line, posting boomer memes oh, on
0: so on social
1: media, uh, or and I-
0: Israel first. What do you think about that whole thing? That whole yeah. part oh, of the yeah, equation? <laughs>
1: oh, absolutely! Like th- this is insane. We are we are spending more time defending Israel, Saudi Arabia, South Korea, and other countries' borders, other than our own in the U.S., which is the most fundamental point of having a government is defending our immediate national sovereignty when we have a collapsing Mexican state. That is only going to get worse because we have AMLO as – well, they have AMLO as president who is currently changing their constitution and likely ushering in a very socialist-like type of government that's going to create a massive immigration wave as if the current wave we're going through isn't big enough.
0: Oh, I know. So what do you think is going to happen? I mean, yeah, we have a huge, fast-growing Latino population, mostly from Mexico, but we also have, on the other side, people don't know about this, uh, from Asia. You know, lots of Chinese are buying up land really all across the West. We're getting hit with massive numbers of immigration, and now we have politicians on both sides of the spectrum saying, we don't want it to stop. We want more. We want more and even encouraging white people to become a minority. We're supposed to celebrate it. It's a good thing watching all our culture and everything be transformed before us. Now, what is your your view as a Venezuelan seeing what's happened to the European-American population and how there's just a constant attack, really, on white people and how we're told that we should celebrate being demographically uh, basically replaced in our countries?
1: Well, Venezuela, the reason why it actually... One of the primary reasons I think that it became originally like one of Latin America's most stable countries from like 1930 to 1980 was because of its pan-European migration policies. It attracted a lot of immigrants from Portugal, Italy, Spain, Syrian and Lebanese Christians and A lot of Colombians as well, but it was predominantly European and that migration wave stopped in the 1980s. And from that point forward, Venezuela has only attracted other South American countries such as like Peru, Ecuador and Colombia as migrants. And you saw a corresponding like decline in culture as well as like the bad economic policies that Venezuela's like social democratic politicians have passed for Multiple decades. So it was just like a total shitstorm of bad policies across the board that led to its decline. So this segues into like the US. I think the US is absolutely going to be declining because of the fact that it's getting much larger waves of third world migrants. And even, for example, the Chinese who do are actually very hardworking and contribute a lot when it comes to business, you're, you're importing a potential fifth column because it's no secret that China is using corporations and a lot of its spy networks as a form of fourth generation warfare against Western countries like Canada, Australia, and the US to infiltrate and advance the communist party's agenda, which is basically a form of twenty first century like colonialism, and they're exploiting it all over and using the weaknesses in many of the West immigration systems to ba- to carve out economic spheres of influence in the us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> this is this is a huge problem. But if we talk about it, We always get hit with, of course, as a white person, if you talk about it, you know, racist, white supremacist, Nazi, right? You can't ever have borders. It has to be mass migration always coming into your country. Otherwise, you're all these names. We get called all those things. We've been banned everywhere because we discuss this thing. But it's this idea in America People think just because, you know, uh, you as an immigrant or my family came or because waves of European, uh, you know, my I wouldn't say migrants, pioneers and settlers built America, that there's a point that they can't say, OK, it's enough. We have enough here that just because they came as pioneers and settlers and explorers, that they don't have the right to ever say that's enough immigration. We can close the borders. It's just amazing no matter how full it gets. Right. I mean, you as an immigrant, oh, you come here, and this is what I appreciate. You, you, you defend, you know, the the Europeans, and and I appreciate that. And I would think that a lot of people that came to America fled because they wanted a better life. They would want the country to remain European because it it enabled their family to do well, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Like, use this thought experiment. Like, if this country is just like an idea, what do you think would it would turn into? If we took a time machine back to like the 1600s and like 20 or 30 million Iranians, Saudi Arabians or whatever, or even like Portuguese settled, you'd have a completely different history. Like absolutely different history because a lot of the governance we see that many constitutionalist libertarians and conservatism inc bobbleheads take for granted were created by a – European stock population like the founding fathers it just didn't happen out of thin air this stuff is rooted in Northern European Specifically Anglo-Saxon traditions. This is not that malleable. It takes Hundreds of years to develop in fact like European liberties did not just happen overnight it was part of a long multi-century type of process that these kind of institutions emerge and by having like uncontrolled waves of immigration, you're absolutely going to, ab- to disrupt it. And interestingly enough, one of the figures that a lot of American right wing people like Calvin Coolidge, he was the one that put the immigration moratorium of the 1920s into effect. Yet nobody talks about that because this was a moratorium that allowed a lot of the pan European migration, to the U.S. assimilate because also what most people will not admit is that even the Irish and the Southern Italians that came to the U.S., they had a lot of assimilation problems. Yeah. And yeah. the U.S. the U.S. government was correct in identifying that a moratorium was best so that these people could assimilate like they did. But if they use continuous waves of immigration, like if they never passed that moratorium of the 1920s. Um, It would likely become much more balkanized and whatnot. You cannot have a nonstop wave of migration without certain types of pauses put in place. It's insane. It will completely disrupt the culture. But our politicians have no intention of repealing the disastrous 1965 Immigration Act or reversing any of the the policies that have been put in place since then. And this will inevitably dilute the historic American nation and basically create a new country that will not be recognizable to future generations.
0: Now, you were close to Brazil. I've been to Brazil. Do you think that it would turn out like that?
1: Yes, yeah, to some effect, because, like, yeah, even in Brazil, like, you see the, like, southern part of Brazil is, like, pretty much Mm pan-European. Like, the the state of Rio Grande do Sul is, like, 80% of European descent and even like the US, like I think you'll still see a lot of people congregate like in the more conservative mountain West that's more homogenous congregate there. But essentially the historic American nation will be out of power from the government. It'll still like exist, you'll see like pockets of it, but it'll be out of power with continued migration. So it'll be this like insanely weird global consumer imperium that resembles more like a parking lot or shopping mall than an actual nation.
0: Yeah, exactly. As
1: we probably understand it.
0: That is globo, globo hobo. I can't even say it right now. I'm like, I'm that sick right now. (laughs) (laughs) Globo homo? Hobo, hobo, globo. <laughs> yeah, that is ultimately what the elites want. They want our culture to be one big shopping mall. I always talk about that. So they eradicate all differences because in order to have this equality for everyone to get along, because it's a it's a, a big sin to say that people are different from different cultures and have different strengths and different weaknesses. I mean, that's just a realization that just comes, you know, when you travel the world and you realize that people are different and it, it's okay to say that. It's not that you hate other people; they're just different, but. At at the end of the day, you know, white people are always being blamed for everything. And they always say, well, if, you know, if, if we can just quiet down these white people, they're, the, they're the problem. I think if white people were out of the picture, all these problems would still exist. They think it's going to be a kumbaya fest if these white racists just close their mouth. But really all these other groups will be fighting and jockeying for power as well. What, what do you think?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That I mean, that's what like third world countries are all about. I mean, the fanaticism of, like, the third world is insane because a lot of these countries are, like, multi-ethnic and they have crazy amounts of strife. Lee Kuan you said it best that when you have, like, mass democracy and, like, a multi-ethnic society, you're going to have, like, crazy tribalism that's going to come to blows in one shape or form. So you have to have, like, certain kind of checks, whether it you have, like, an authoritarian government that promotes, like, civic nationalism or you take the more rational approach, like countries like Switzerland and whatever that have insanely restrictive immigration that's like conducted actually at the local level where people actually approve your citizenship or have like very strong borders to, to create like certain barriers. Because that's the thing, too. You have to not just like people don't get this. You create barriers in your private life to disassociate from people that are toxic and whatnot. And this same logic has to be extended to the city-state, nation-state, or whatever political arrangement you want to have if you want to preserve culture. You have to put barriers. It's not by any means casting aspersions to other cultures and whatnot. Like as people – a lot of these people might be great people, but when you import them in mass, yeah. the tendency for humans because of their tra- tribal nature is to kind of like replicate the culture they came from and – a lot of this stuff is tied to state policy at the end of the day because it's not just like a random occurrence because accelerating immigration from different cultures also like increases the state's presence in our life because demographic change weakens like established patterns of social interaction and that will sometimes resist like the state's expanded control. and. And it also just generates more conflict, which will require further government intervention to try to correct these perceived wrongs. It's just like a never-ending sequence of control, ultimately, that will undermine traditional American civil liberties. So in short, I think that anybody in the US that wants to preserve like their civil liberties has to understand the demographic nature of it and how it ties into state policy. Because when you have tons of conflict you know what's going to happen then you're going to see calls for gun control calls for more police state statism and all that and surveillance look just look at london like their their entire mass migration wave is turning london into the most surveilled city Mm -hmm. in like the freaking planet and this could all be avoided very simply By cutting off migration.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've seen that happen even in Virginia. Virginia's turned blue. It's been hit by massive waves of immigration. If you travel around Virginia, it's not (laughs) not the quaint little southern towns anymore, you know? It's a hodgepodge of people from all over the world. And what are they talking about now? They literally want to go after the politicians now feel okay, we're in power, we have control, we can do what we want. They literally want to ban. Self-defense courses, where two or more people meet to uh, to learn about uh, you know fighting arts like martial arts or learning uh, gun gun target practice. I mean, this is insane. But you're absolutely right; it will lead to a police state. That's where this is going: surveillance, uh, hate speech enforcement. That's why I always worry about these robots that they're developing. What are what are they going to do? They're going to be going around writing tickets for like uh, thought crimes or something, you know? So exactly, and a lot of these ideas. Of of liberty and freedom and all this comes from the, the European mindset, right? So a lot of these other people coming in, they're not gonna be libertarians. <laughs> and I feel like conservative oh, no, Inc. Absolutely. thinks that thinks that, oh, we can we can change them to be like one of us, but it's it's a pipe dream.
1: Oh yeah, it's 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 blank slate fallacy. It's a blank slate fallacy to the highest order. I think it's complete nonsense. And a lot of these people like that I talk to that are still like on the fence on immigration, they don't understand. This is all public policy that elites have uh, demonstrated because Americans still have very strong American founding stock. Americans still have very strong residual classical liberal tendencies to resist forms of sadism. But when you bring in like a new demographic to basically elect a new people, you completely get rid of that altogether because they will do the jobs that Americans won't do aka vote in for more government <laughs> so yeah that's why like th- that's why the democratic party now they they know the numbers they've seen the numbers of how immigrants from pretty much almost all countries abroad block vote for them and that's why you're they're talking about decriminalizing border crossings Heck, even Beto O'Rourke floated the idea of getting rid of the citizenship exam what, when immigrants try to apply for citizenship. So this stuff is basically numbers now. Forget like the culture war, forget public policy. That stuff is, those debates are, this pro, are provinces yeah. of a homogenized society. That's like, yeah, that, we're, we've, we've already went past that point. Right now, it's the barbarians are well past the gates and it's time to start actually putting up like an actual gate,
0: absolutely. I agree. hundred percent. And I appreciate that you're on that on that page. I think that there's a lot more of us out there. And there are people that have come like you, your family have come from other places. And you also see, I mean, that's when, you know, it's really bad. There's some of these white people that are terrified to talk about these things, you know. And then you have like Michelle Malkin and, uh, you know, Jesse Peterson, like other people that are actually talking about it. But it's funny because they can get away with it, though, right? <laughs> they don't get accused of being PLC white supremacists.
1: Privilege. I'm Sorry. doing the job that Conservatism Inc. refuses to. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> So, what do you think ultimately is the the end game for these elites, these open borders elites who want this to happen in America? I mean, they are really starting to do this all across Europe and the West as well. What is it that they really want? I mean, is it just people voting left, or is there is there something more that they have in mind globally?
1: I don't know. I've always always speak, tried to like find out what they want, and I think that really it's like a form of global governance. And I don't know if it's gonna be like something that's gonna be like on the left-right spectrum. I think the left-right spectrum is also pretty outdated too. That's like another feature of the, of the once previous homogenous Western European experience. Like debating that just means that a lot of people are still stuck in the 20th century and are ignoring how demographically different we are now, like in these countries. I think it's basically like moving towards more of a form of global governance, like a global consumer imperium that's dominated via public administration. You're going to see mass consumerism. I think it's going to look like idiocracy, to be honest. That's what (laughs) I like. And and I think that movie was rather prescient in that regard. We talk about this all the
0: time. Totally agree. Yeah.
1: I don't think it's going to look like anything like – 20th century communist experience experiments and stuff like that because even like in as brutal as those regimes were funny enough they weren't like going around like knocking down monuments and stuff like that like even like to this day like in china like in hong kong they still like preserve a lot of like the english speaking statues Mm -hmm. and like neighborhood names and stuff like that it's it's just going to go to like a very like rootless, like empty kind of corporate wasteland like at a large scale that's going to not feature a lot of traditional American civil liberties because there's not going to be enough of a demographic to defend that. And and I I think that's what it's going to look like. It's going to be pretty globalist. It's a I it's think.
0: a nightmare. And I've heard some politicians saying, you know, when people are like, well, how much is enough in America? I mean, it's a lot of people already. Like you go to the big cities and it's just people everywhere. You know, I always joke around like, what are they going to do to start cutting down the forests to, you know, build up these kind of Soviet style gulag apartments to just like pack them in to get the numbers in? Well, elites have said that up to a billion they think a billion america could take a billion people i mean doesn't that seem like a nightmare to you i mean i'm someone who doesn't like huge crowds and big cities anymore but can you imagine a billion people in america
1: i mean that's insane i I don't like i do not like being in large cities much either and and yeah like the this whole idea will just essentially like create America into this, like, pan-Western hemispheric political entity that will not resemble America whatsoever, like, how we've seen it. I think even, like, now, like, the the current era we live in will seem quaint if this project goes
0: through. (laughs) Yeah. Now, what do you think about, you've probably heard, you've traveled around these circles about the magical dirt theory, right? People, they just need access, right? They just need access to America, and then they'll become just like us and become, you know, uh, brain surgeons and astronauts and all that, <laughs> right? A lot of the conservative being people say that, too. What do you think about that?
1: Oh, th- those people will assimilate to global homo. Yeah. But they're not going to assimilate to, like, to like american founding principles and stuff like that like you can kiss your first amendment and second amendment freedoms and all that goodbye and i think like too you'll probably see like very like ethno tyrannical policies like directed specifically towards whites i think that's where we're heading because affirmative action really is like like ethnic cleansing via public administration like go to universities these days, like even my alma mater of UT Austin, like you can see like a huge demographic shift, like taking place there and it's done through like affirmative action programs and all that. And that stuff is designed specifically to displace a lot of whites, especially the working class and like middle-class whites. Not every white is freaking rich. Like that's one thing that like the left always says like that there's also like working class white people and that have like concerns and stuff like that that don't have like the best lot in life and and like i think that yeah the magic dirt theory it's basically like the blank slate it's like an extension of that logic and i think it's nonsense and people need to start reassessing these premises we need to start asking the more questions our society takes so much of this pc nonsense that has been hammered into our heads through thousands of hours of public education that we were like multicultural and all this we need to start asking questions and like also just debunking this nonsense altogether.
0: Yep, absolutely. Now, what do you think about what's going on with uh, (laughs) that? Banning and censorship. I mean, we were booted off of YouTube. We had no strikes, and one day, just that was it. I mean, there was various groups that were lobbying aggressively to get us removed. You know, they put together partial quotes, half quotes, and then they just lie about certain things and publish it like it's truths. You never get to defend yourself. And then we were the Guardian wrote some hit piece, and then that's all it took. Some little girl at the Guardian writing a piece getting us removed off of Facebook, and now it's continuing. I hear YouTube's they have updated their terms. A lot of people are having more and more more videos deleted, we're having to go to alternative platforms. But where do you think this is going? You've been watching a lot of the uh, Silicon Valley censorship.
1: I think it's a trial run for the eventual hate speech laws because the US, I think, that has like per- that particular nuance where corporations are just so much more dominant due to the fact that it has such like classical liberal residual institutions. So hate speech laws are going to be a bit harder to implement. Hence why like the immigration is is a huge strategy for the left in trying to implement that stuff. And I think it's a private sector trial run of what's going to happen like in the 2020s and beyond where you're going to see like just the state say like screw it. We're just going to put hate speech laws. If you like mention any type of talk about the disparate impact of like certain type of crime waves like immigration policy, all that, you're going to be sent to like the hate speech gulag or whatever, yeah. kicked off a platform, yeah. debanked. I think the the social media, the and all that, and the journalists as well, they're all part of like the fourth and fifth state of like this overall like deep state that controls like the narrative on all these issues. And they're definitely in cahoots with each other. And they just want to completely neuter any type of effective like right wing, talk because they know that the the current paradigm of the charlie kirk and boomer conservatism inc crowd is so ineffective it's it's actually useful to them because it can it creates like this false illusion of choice you're basically choosing between one wing of global homo against the other and they're not going to do anything to reverse any of this, of this stuff like at best the current trump administration is a handbrake towards global homo
0: yeah absolutely and trump's not doing anything about censorship by the way you know and of course all of this is happening leading into the election when basically all of his supporters eh, i think the charlie kirks and the ben shapiro's they'll probably be left on youtube exactly the illusion of choice right but any of the true alternative media anything that's true grassroots or edgy fresh political commentary even humor even getting getting rid of comedians and people that to do music. I mean, they're so terrified. What do you think they're so terrified of? I mean, we had what three hundred thirty five thousand YouTube subscribers in the big scope of things. That's nothing when they control the narrative everywhere. They get billions of dollars. They control mainstream media. What are they so afraid of? A couple YouTube channels.
1: Well, they're they're afraid of the counter narrative. You na- you nailed it with the narrative part, Lana. Because ultimately, we're in like a kind of like post-fact world where people just repeat stuff like total NPCs that like some about like multiculturalism like nation of immigrants and all these other things that are taken as a given without even doing research but whenever you actually ch- prove this stuff is, a, is false everybody throws a fit about it and that's why like it's dangerous when you plant these seeds these ideas and like you're going to see that as well with that one guy, that Peter Dabrowska, the guy who talked about the immigration moratorium on Tucker show, they're they're going to go after people like him because
0: isn't he an Arab the, too, or part Arab or something? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah I, I know him pretty well, and I've done like some work for him. He's a great guy, yeah, he's so and nice. it's just like like the it's just like POCs doing the work for conservatism Inc. because like that they refuse to do because we we have to point out the kind of obvious like. These are numbers and these are the trends and policies that have been put in place over the last few decades that are changing the US. And the the problem is that people refuse to take this fight. they rather go to talk about generic public policy issues that like, yeah, they may have validity once we have actually like a normal society, but like we don't have that right now. You have to put your priorities straight. It's like worrying about your financial status whenever you're getting robbed at gunpoint. You need to worry about your survival first and foremost. Yeah. And that's what like the U.S. needs to be wor- worrying about. We need to s- realize that there are priorities like maintaining our national sovereignty that come before the zero zero point two percent tax cut that your freaking conservative <laughs> pundit is t- uh, calling for. Like d- people need to get their shit together basically. Like y- they need to realize the existential threats we're facing, the other stuff can wait.
0: Exactly, this like, is the issue going forward, That I- that is it. You know, and I'm I'm glad to see, too, that there's some there's a lot of non-Europeans that are getting on board because now they're seeing it's not just a matter of, you know, white people and their interests, white people like me. It's also a matter of other people who are here now in the country. And they also want white people to remain a majority because they see how everything will be transformed and it doesn't fall in their best interests either. Right.
1: Actually, this is a really interesting segue. I think that one of the biggest failures of conservatism, Inc., in terms of getting black outreaches, tying the immigration issue. Because in the US, it has this particular idiosyncrasy is that because of its predominantly pan-European nature, especially of Anglo-Saxon, black culture has actually been able to maintain its like distinct identity throughout the years, especially like you've noticed that during the Gilded Age, before the welfare state. And in Latin America, Interestingly enough, which had substantial black migration through slavery and whatnot, black cultures have been completely assimilated and racially mixed out, almost out of existence. People don't realize this that the first Mexican president, Vicente Guerrero, was part black, and a lot of Latin American countries as well have had like strong black influences. But because of the centuries of like mixing, they've been completely wiped out and like in the U.S., a more Hispanicized U.S., you will see a lot of blacks be pushed out of their neighborhoods. You're already seeing mm-hmm. oh, yeah. it now in L.A. And even in Miami as well, a lot of blacks that have lived there are now moving to Atlanta. And Hispanic blacks, too, are basically moving to Atlanta because of the fact that in Latin American cultures, they don't really pay that much homage to their the African roots of like the salsa music they listen to and all that. And it's in even Blacks' best interest to get on board with immigration, patriotism, because if they want to preserve the foundational Black American culture, it's in their best interest to oppose mass migration.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, before I let you go, I know you wrote a piece on Chile. Now, what the hell is going on there with these protests and stuff? (laughs) I haven't actually been able to follow what is going on.
1: Well... It actually kind of goes back to somewhat migration, too, because in Chile, a lot of people don't realize this. I lived there from 2014 to 2016. The There's been a pretty unprecedented wave of non-European migration, especially Haitians, Venezuelans, Colombians, Peruvians and Bolivians coming there. And there's been a lot of social unrest that the media has kind of kept under wraps because The cost of living is exploding in cities like santiago a lot of the people that were protesting in chile were obviously like demanding like free education and a lot of like state intervention all that but i think one of the untold stories is like the socioeconomic effects of chile's growing migration wave and chile for example still has like ongoing racial tension showing that like Multi-ethnic societies, even like when they have like a civic nationalist dictatorship, when they go back to the democratic state, they go into tribal mode. People start for- forming implicit communities and voting blocks yep. around like certain ethnic lines and – that's why i think like you're gonna see more of that in the protests i mean you would definitely have like establishment right-wing parties like especially the one under sebastian Pinetta right now the current president that are basically just conceding ground to the left on like pretty much all issues and chile i don't think it's going to be exempt from a lot of these like trends because this type of these globalist trends they're being exported all over and even like a lot of latin american countries like for example the dominican republic they've had pretty strong immigration policies against their Haitian neighbors because they want to maintain their Dominican identity and stuff like that. And you're going to see a lot of this transported to these countries as a means of trying to like create a kind of like Western hemisphere, like consumer imperium. And I think there's a lot of unrest in Chile because of this, a lot of like a bad right wing that cannot check the left migration. Also, there's some evidence, too, with the Venezuelan exodus that the Venezuelan government is turning them into kind of a fifth column in countries by using them as agents to cause disruptions in other countries. Immigration has a lot of arguments from political transformations to socioeconomic effects and then even forms of fourth-generation warfare because now countries can weaponize their migration, to get other countries to kowtow. You see this with the Turks, like, Erdogan has even said, like, that he would open the floodgates to Turkish migration to Europe yeah. if the EU doesn't give in to his demands. And Venezuela is doing this with a lot of its agents as well. And China, obviously, they're doing this with their corporations and the Confucius Institutes all over the world. Like, these these countries, they know that the, the, the Western countries countries have huge weaknesses when it comes to immigration policies because they have basically opened up their borders to everyone and in effect like you don't even have to fire a single shot people that think that China's going to like take us over big, through like helicoptering in a bunch of troops and stuff like that they're stuck on boomer, yeah. they're stuck on boomer films yeah <laughs> they, they're going to win because of like of just like demographics and soft power through the fifth columns you're creating abroad. Like this is just basically states.
0: That's right. Immigration, it's being used as a weapon. And it seems like everyone gets that. Even, even people on the left get that everyone seems to get that except for a lot of these white conservatives. It seems like they're the last people to understand and see the most obvious thing. And they even attack their own for even, talking about it you know well that's oh, white course. that's white nationalism anytime you want to you know close the borders now and say okay that's enough people who's coming in here we have the whole third world. that's white nationalism what do you think about that
1: oh it's so stupid because they're, they're they're gonna end up doing this stupider thing of like advocating for like some regime change abroad which is gonna create <laughs> even more refugees it's like you guys are, are are seriously like not using your heads like for once look at countries like switzerland like they do not have these problems because they're non-interventionist and they have yeah. very strong citizenship requirements and stuff like that but we live in an empire that's the problem we live in an imperium and empires have very weak borders and they event- inevitably because of how they prioritize the defense of territories abroad and stuff like that inevitably they dream- demographically transform just look at rome rome that's right eventually had like egypt too had emperors that were not even yep that were not even roman and then like They had the barbarians controlling their military as well, and it just disintegrated. Like, do we need to replay this played out history that we have seen time and time again?
0: I guess we do, (laughs) for some reason. It's so frustrating because there's people like us warning we see it. We're like the modern day prophets. Well, you don't even have to be prophetic. You just have to look through history because history repeats itself. We're trying to prevent a lot of suffering and chaos and bad, awful times. But we're the bad guys, you know, we're the ones who are being silenced and called names and defamed and attacked in world news. One day, though, Jose, one day we're going to be looked at, I think, as the heroes. They will say those people, they were right. So I am proud that we are sticking our necks out there. And I thank you for sticking your neck out there and talking about these things. It's so important. We need more people like you. So any uh, closing thoughts for, you know, words of encouragement or words of warning, anything you would like to share with our audience since you're new to everyone here?
1: I would say start getting involved in your local politics and building like civic institutions at the local level, like social networks and stuff like that, like real life social networks. Get away from the dopamine factory that is like social media and like start interacting with people in the flesh because that's one of the big problems I see now of how atomized we've become due to mass consumerism and the administrative state. Is that we need to like actually gather and build like ideas and institutions so that we can have a fallback if things really get out of control. My advice to people is stop complaining on the internet, apply your knowledge, meet other like-minded people and build yourself and your family and your extended network together.
0: Absolutely. Now, I also want you to share information on your book that we have there and your website and how people can follow you. I know you're on Twitter as well.
1: I have like the 10 myths of gun control, which is like my first guide on josealneo.com. You can just go there on the book section on like basic myths that you'll hear today and on gun policy. I mean, the gun issue is never going to go away. It's, It's one of the Hottest issues that's always being talked about. You see just a lot of really bad talking points, not just from the left, obviously, but also from, like, the supposed pro-gun right. And I set this record straight. But it's it's my first work. Then I have a book on Venezuela, How Socialism Destroyed Venezuela, that goes through the historical process of how the country declined over the years because of its bad policies from economics to migration And then I have my newsletter where I post almost daily on like political observations from just like decentralization to like foreign policy. And I also give out political tips based on my experience as a lobbyist for people that want to set up their own organizations. And I'm most active on Twitter at Jose Alnino.
0: Awesome. Well, everybody definitely go follow him. And again, thank you, Jose, for your time today. It's been uh, great connecting with you. I had no idea you were out there until you wrote that article. So thanks so much. It's uh, good to make a new friend.
1: No, th- th- thank you again, Lana. It was a pleasure talking to you.
0: So I ended up chatting with Jose after this interview, and it was a great conversation. Those are usually the best conversations after you hit stop recording. Anyway, immigrants like Jose are Absolutely fine. And I think that there aren't too many like him, unfortunately, but the ones that are out there, we usually hear from, of course. It is also in their best interest that European culture remain the culture in America. Also, I asked him if he had any plans to go back to Venezuela and he said perhaps after things settle down there a bit. We also talked about how Europe will probably be in better shape even after immigration versus America because in Europe, people still have a really strong connection to their culture and a sense of tribe, which unfortunately in America it has been years of mixing it out. And so they don't remember where they come from, let alone that they're European. But it's up to us to help them remember. Again, sorry for the awful cold, everyone. We've been out flat out almost all week, so we'll be back in shape hopefully this weekend for Flashback Friday and Weekend Warrior. Thanks so much.